We're going to talk about standing firm in the Lord tonight. You know, this message, if you go to, if you go to Philippians, you're going to see that this message was written to some people that Paul loved, that he was passionate about. It says in the first verse, he says, Therefore, my brothers who I love and long for, my joy and crowns. And he says to stand firm in the Lord. And he calls them my beloved. You know, the word crown is the ancient Greek word for prize. He, he, he really treasured these people. You know who treasures us like that? Our Lord does, doesn't he? And so this message, while he's written this to these readers, this message is for us too. And we're going to learn tonight about standing firm in the Lord. As we're going through this, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the reference to joy. There's a joy as a motif in Philippians that's mentioned. Uh, some formation of the word joy is mentioned over, four, over 16 times in this book. And so as we go through this, I want you to be thinking about, about that. You know, um, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians to, to let them know how much he cared about them, to love them, to encourage them. And he commissioned them to do something. It's what we're here about tonight. He commissioned them to stand firm in the Lord. So, what do I mean, stand firm in the Lord? We could, it, it takes us to many different places. We could think about Jesus being the rock and, you know, the rock on which we build our firm foundation. We can think about so many things in the Bible um, that has to do with standing firm. Um, some of the, what are the synonyms for standing firm? You know, immovable, unshakable, secure, strong, solid. You know, when I think about standing firm, I think about my little brother, Dan. I don't know if any of you guys know Dan, but Dan's a little shorter than me, but he's thick and he's wide and he's strong. This weekend we were laughing because um, when, in 1985, Dan was a senior in high school and he played football for Nederland. And one of the sports writers did an article and, and featured Dan and said, he came into his senior, senior year with Herculean strength. And we laughed about that because Dan's very humble and he just thought that was crazy. But I can tell you, Dan was like an immovable object. He played the defensive line and you could not move him. I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to play against him at practice when I was a senior because they moved him up. And he was, he was so short and strong that he could just take a position. You could not move him. And you know, when you couldn't move him, it presented some opportunities for him. Because instead of him having to try to fight to get back on his feet and try to get his position, he was there, could not be moved, looking for opportunities. If the play came to him, he was there to make the play. If there was a gap somewhere, he could get to the gap and get to the quarterback. He stood firm in his position. And it reminds me of the benefits to us when we stand firm in the Lord, when we gain our position and we're immovable. It opens up opportunities for us. You know, when you're reading this verse, look at the first thing Paul says. Paul says, therefore, you ever seen that before? When you see therefore, that tells you, go back and see what he was talking about in the previous verse. And if you go to verse, if you go to verse 3, we know that Paul's going to connect what he's saying to what he just said. And so we go back and we look in verse C, and he's describing these evildoers whose end is destruction. He says their minds are set on earthly things. And he is comparing, contrasting those to those who have citizenship in heaven, to the believers, right? There's a comparison here of what's going on. Um, let me ask you this. Do we succeed when we put our hope in earthly things? 
I think everybody here knows experience tells us that we don't. I look at the stock market and I freak out every day. I, I know I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't count on earthly things. You know, our experience tells us no. You know, our, we're encouraged to make our investment in this life in the heavenly economy, in the things to come. You know, this fallen world is so strongly influenced right now by rulers and principalities of darkness and our hope for better tomorrow is certainly not in the things that our world has to offer to us. No, our hope comes from another source. Our hope is in the power of the resurrected Christ. Our hope is that he's going to give us our resurrection and that one day we're going to be with him and ruling and reigning and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's what our hope is. And we can live with that hope. And that is where the joy can rise up in your life, no matter what your circumstances are. You know, the promises that the Lord has made us in the Bible are not just promises. They're guarantees. How can I say that? You know, we're told that, that Jesus is able to subject all things to himself. So that if he can do that, then the things that he tells us are true. We can rely on those. So when we're standing firm, what are we standing firm on? We're standing firm on the promises that are made. We're standing firm on the instructions that were given. And we're standing firm on the example that Jesus has left us with. Now, if you, if you go back and read on Philippians 4, 2 through 3, there's something interesting going on here. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, and forgive me if I'm saying that wrong for you Greek scholars, I entreat these two ladies to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what's happening here is we've got a couple of ladies that are believers. They've been working with, with, with Paul in the ministry. And he thinks it's so important that he's taking time out in this letter to the Philippians to say, hey, help these ladies. Why is that so important? You know, when I think about this, it takes me immediately to Ecclesiastes 4.12, where it says that though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, among us believers, there's power in unity. There's power in unity. Um, if you don't think there's power in unity, look at the protests that have been going on for the last several months in America. There's power in unity. That same type of power. We, we have that kind of power available to, available to us when we act in unity as believers. So there's a call to unity among us as believers. Yes, we need to stand firm in the Lord individually, and we need to stand firm in the Lord together in unity. So what kind of unity? Um, unity it says that we strive together with one spirit, one mind, with the same love, and the same goals that Jesus has. That's our unity. One mind, one spirit, with the same goals that Jesus has. In Philippians 2, um, it tells us that when we're pursuing this corporate unity, there's some, there's some attitudes that we have to drop and some things that we have to pick up. Um, 
you know, we can't really be as self-interested. It can't be our way or the highway. We have to put away our self-interest and we have to strive together, even through disagreements, toward the same purposes um, and the purposes of the ones that are set by Jesus. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Think about what disunity does, okay? Um, if we have unresolved conflict amongst us believers, it is going to hinder our effectiveness as the body of Christ, and it's going to take away opportunities because we're having to spend resources and time dealing with the disunity. So when we can unify in one mind, one spirit, following the example of Jesus and doing his things, it's going to open up more opportunity. It's going to make us more powerful, and it's going to give us more of a chance to make an impact on all those with whom we come into conflict. It allows us to stand more firm in the Lord together. Now, it's great to talk about standing firm in the Lord, but nothing can shake your foundation like unexpected consequences, like unexpected things that happen, terrible things that happen, just things that you weren't, just things you weren't expecting, unwanted circumstances can come and it can try to shake your foundation. But Paul talks about that too. Look what he says in verse 4 through 7. Paul says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So once again, Paul's given us some really good schooling on how to stand firm in the Lord. There's three things that I want to point out that Paul said here. He told us to do two things. He told us to rejoice in the Lord, and he told us to rejoice always. Not just when times are good, not just when times are bad, to rejoice always. Rejoice where? How? In the Lord. Always, is what he says. Just remember, earlier I told you that joy is a recurring motif in this particular epistle. Um, you know, Paul understands that circumstances can create anxiety. Circumstances can take us off our game, can, can leave us feeling unstable. But he tells us the, the, what, the way to deal with this is to cultivate an attitude of joy through all times. So he's not describing a happiness that depends on things going well. He's describing a happiness that's dependent on our trust in the sovereignty of God. That's where it comes from, is the trust in the sovereignty of God. You know, at some point in your life, you're going to have to ask yourself, do I really believe this stuff? Do I believe this, these promises? Do I believe all this? Because if you do, you're going to be able to cultivate an attitude of joy in all circumstances. Why is that? What, is the promises, what do the promises say? The promises say that Jesus set the captives free, that his birth and his death and his resurrection righted all wrongs. It says that he conquered death, he conquered sin, that I'm destined as a child of God to live forever and eternity in his perfect kingdom. That sounds pretty good to me. I can, you know, I can deal with some things on earth if I, if I believe and know that that's what's coming. I mean, I'm 55 years old, and it's going by like that. My 93-year-old grandfather says, you think it's going fast for you? 
You know, it doesn't last long, people. And we're going to be there. Do I believe it? Because if I do, I can adjust my thinking about things. I'm, I was thinking about uh, 2 Corinthians where it says, if we believe this, and when he, in, that, what he, in that scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, when he says, if we believe this, previous to that it says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. So if we believe this, we can say that our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. This is the secret. He's also told us to be reasonable. If we look at verse 5, he told us to be reasonable. What is he saying here? You know, be gentle. Be reasonable is to be gentle, generous, kind, fair-minded. You know, notice that Paul is saying this right after he, emphasize, right after he emphasizes the, he's encouraging them to help the two women reconcile their differences. Um, being reasonable in our Christian community is trying to figure out what's best for everyone, and especially in the context of the kingdom of God. That's being reasonable. We may disagree. We may not see things the same way. But if our goal is we want to further the kingdom of God, and that's what we're trying to do, then we're going to find a way out. Why be reasonable? Well, the Lord is at hand. <laughs> Jesus is going to return at some point, and he's going to hold us responsible for our actions and our words. So be reasonable, people. Now, this is the hard one. You know, in verse 6, he's, we're told not to be, don't be anxious, you know. Um, this is the hard one. When things happen, man, I get anxious. I get worried. Okay, I, I'm sure you do too. And I would tell you that um, while we're called not to be anxious, I think that the Lord understands that it's maybe harder than it sounds. It's, it's not just saying words and, 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 and recanting, you know, recounting things. It's hard. But what he's telling us to do is to have a mind and have a, an eye toward a direction. You know, what is, what is the direction? Our direction is to, okay, I'm going to remember that the Lord, the Lord, he's a loving God. He's in sovereign. He's in charge. And I'm going to recount those and recount those. Okay. So but here's some quotes about worry, because I have a tendency to worry, and, uh, and so I, I try to remember these things. Worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. You probably heard that one. Worry doesn't prevent disaster. It prevents joy. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> worry is something we do to try to control something we have no control over. But preacher, how do I stop worrying? You know, Paul... I know you're saying this, but you don't understand my circumstances. Oh, really? Uh, let's see. I was shipwrecked. Um, I was, I've been beaten and left for dead. Uh, I mean, should we go on to all the things that Paul endured during his ministry? You know, what he gave up to even become a Christian? I mean, Paul has gone through it. He's the one who's telling us all this. He's gone, I mean, he's gone through way more than I've, than I've been through. But he's telling us not to allow our minds to dwell on the fears and the problems is what he's telling us. He tells us some simple things to do. Ask God for what you need, tell him what you're worried about, and thank him for what he's done. You know, I tried this once. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it. You know, 1 Peter, if I, I, this is the verse that, that it was, this was based on. 1 Peter said, um, uh, he says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I may have, some of y'all have heard this story before, but I'll tell you, um, I am 
recovering from a neck surgery. I've got pneumonia. I've got a wife and two daughters at my house, and I find out that I am getting laid off from my job, and I am freaking out. Okay, I'm pacing the floor at 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's a show that's on TV called The Farmer's Wife, the worst thing in the world that could be on. It's all about the treachery and, the, and how, how tenuous life is on the farm, and these poor people are just making it day by day. I'm like, what am I doing watching this? And so I finally said, God, your word says that I can cast my anxieties on you, and you will take care of them. And Lord, you've taken care of me to this point. And man, I called out to him, and I'm not joking, poof. It worked. It worked. But it wasn't based on the words I was saying. It was because I remembered who he was. I remember what he had done. I remember what his promises were. And it allowed me to have peace in that moment. When we give everything that we're facing to God, including ourselves, and we put it all in his hand, he'll protect our hearts. He'll protect our minds. We, can, we have to remember these two things. We can trust in a sovereign and loving God who has told us what the outcome's going to be. He told us where we're headed. We can trust in that. We can trust our circumstances to him. And boy, when we do that, what a testimony that is to those around us. What a testimony. Well, you know what else messes with our firm foundation? It's all of the junk that's out there that's coming at us in our eye, through our eyes and our mind. I stand here today um, knowing that we are all bombarded by the profane, the insane, and the inane. It's coming to us through every medium that we can, that we can, even, that we can think about. Even mainstream commercials today and main, mainstream TV shows that used to have a modicum, just at least a modicum of decorum, have just spiraled out of control into things that our forefathers would just, would just cringe to see that we're allowing ourselves to be subjected to. And that's not even talking about the stuff that's you know, off-color, off off, you know, off the mainstream media devices. The games our children play with the graphic violence, the crudeness and foul language that's taken the place of comedy today. Um, you know, the, our culture that glorifies uh, the powerful and the influential as they strive to get rich at the, at the, at the expense of others. And, um, you know, I think about um, our politicians who, who cheat and scheme to secure victories and to gain more power. You know, this is the stuff that we're dealt with today. My, you know, I, I was laughing at my dad. He had to quit watching Fox News because it was really shaking his foundation, you know, to hear all the stuff that's going on. And I found myself having to do the same thing. There are things that come at us that, that kind of shake us that we don't watch out. But Paul gave us the antidote to that. He told us what to do. Go back and look at what he said in verse, in verse 8 where he tells us, um, you know, he tells us to fill our thoughts. We are in charge of it. Fill our thoughts with things that are true, that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. You know, I find it noteworthy that the secular meditation, meditation gurus tell us to empty our minds. That's what they tell us to do. But we're told by Christ to fill our minds with these good things, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable things. This is a newsflash for some of you. You control what goes here and what goes here. It's you that get to control it. No one else controls that. No one can make you look at something or make you listen to something. You control it. It's through our conscious choices that we decide what goes through our eyes and what goes through our ears that go into our minds. So 
we had to take some responsibility here, okay? I can blame the media, I can blame all this stuff, but the reality of it is we're the ones who are ingesting this stuff and giving, you know, giving, giving credence to, to it and, and allowing them to keep going. You know, standing firm on our foundation requires taking a stand on what we allow in here. My encouragement today here is when you read Philippians 4, when you read throughout the scripture, it's telling us to do something. It's telling us to stand firm in the Lord. Why is it telling us to do that? It's telling us to do that because when we do it, we are going to experience greater joy. We talked about the motif of joy that runs through this. Paul is telling you that when we do this, we will experience greater joy. When we do this, we will experience greater unity amongst us believers. When we do this, we will have less anxiety and less worry. And we'll have more control over our thoughts and over our lives. So that's why Paul, he loves these people. You can tell throughout the scripture that he loves this church. And they go back and read and you understand why. Our God loves us like this. This is an example of love. He wants us to stand firm because he knows it makes us powerful as we go out and further his kingdom. He knows it makes us better as people as he's continuing to work on us. So I would challenge everybody today to just kind of ask yourselves, you know, what areas of my life am I really doing good in? Where am I standing firm in Christ? Where am I, where am I doing good at? And if I'm doing good in those areas, why am I not doing so good in other areas? What's, what's causing me not to do good in those areas? What do I need to do to change that? And am I growing spiritually? If I'm standing firm in the Lord, I'm growing spiritually. Or am I taking a step back? Or am I just kind of coasting, you know? Those are the things that I would want to ask. And so I'm going to close tonight just by saying that um, it's great to be here. This is a great church. We have a lot of people that are standing firm in this church and that are standing in the gap for others. And together we've seen what we can do when we are unified. And one of the things that we love about our church is that we do have a vision to go out and reach people, to go out and spread the word of God to people. And so we're going to continue standing firm in the Lord together and individually.